X-Men number 7 delivers a major update to the state of mutants on Krakoa and in the Marvel Universe, in easily one of the biggest issues since House of X ended. Today I'll answer, what is Crucible and what does it mean for the X-Men's resurrection protocols? How does X-Men number 7 tie heavily into House of M and X-Men decimation stories from the mid-2000s? And why Nightcrawler is the perfect guy to introduce us to the new Crucible practice on Krakoa. I'm Dave Busing, founder and editor-in-chief of comicbookherald.com. If you like the CBH YouTube channel or podcast, please consider liking, subscribing, and sharing. Links to CBH channels and Patreon support are included in the show notes. You can find full X-Men and comic book reading orders on comicbookherald.com. Spoilers for discussed comics may follow. In X-Men number 7 by Jonathan Hickman, Lionel Francis Hughes, Sonny Gow, Clayton Cowles, and Tom Mueller, the issue opens with the mysterious repeating refrain that Crucible is today. There's been a lot of speculation about what Crucible might be after Marvel previewed the issue, and X-Men number 7 does a nice job building details and information about the new addition to Krakoa culture as the story develops. Cyclops first considers the new procedure with Wolverine in a scene full of details that are going to drive the Scott slash Logan slash Gene slash sure let's throw Emma in, why not? Shippers absolutely wild. On his quest to witness and learn more about Crucible, Cyclops first strolls past Doug Ramsey, Krakoa, and for just a split second, Warlock, just chilling. It's tangential to the main story, but for fans who have been wondering about Doug's techno-organic arm and the presence of longtime New Mutants member Warlock, it's another small clue in what appears to be another very interesting mystery. There's definitely something curious, almost creepy going on with Doug and Warlock, and I'm certain that this is not the last we'll see of these characters. The bulk of the issue centers around an extended religious and philosophical conversation between Nightcrawler and Cyclops, mostly as it pertains to the Crucible. Kurt has so many questions about Krakoa, the resurrection protocols, and what they mean for faith, the afterlife, and morality. They're all very, very interesting questions that could be explored here. And again, this issue goes very deep on what it means for the X-Men to be on Krakoa and what this means for mutant kind as a whole in a way that we really haven't investigated too thoroughly since House of X and Powers of Ten. Crucially, as Cyclops and Nightcrawler make their way to Crucible, they witness Exodus leading some campfire cult kids in the ways of Krakoa. Importantly, Exodus describes resurrection not just as being born, but as being made whole. Even the children of Krakoa understand that death is necessary to achieve this gift through the resurrection protocols and the gift of Krakoa's five. At this point, it becomes clear what Crucible is meant to be. Crucible is all about restoring mutants that were depowered in Scarlet Witch's decimation to the fall, to their full mutant abilities. These are Krakoa's rules for mutants who have lost their powers and the nation's path forward to restoring mutant kind to their past glory. Importantly, it's not enough to resurrect those who have been killed by humans, but mutants also see it vital to restore depowered former mutants as well. At the conclusion of 2005's House of M, Wanda Maximoff, the Scarlet Witch, then thought to be both mutant and longtime Avenger, she used her reality-altering powers to declare no more mutants, and depowered one million mutants. Hence, her new status in the Marvel Universe as Boogeyman to Mutant Children and the Pretender label, given the fact that it's been revealed in the last five years that Wanda is not, in fact, even a mutant. It's also clear now why X-Men number 7 is titled Life Death. In a callback to Uncanny X-Men number 186, a story in which Storm copes with the loss of her powers after being hit with a depowering invention from Forge. It's a nice throwback to a pretty iconic and famous storyline. I believe this one's by Chris Claremont, and I'm going to say art by Barry Windsor Smith off the top of my head. Um, it's a pretty atypical Uncanny X-Men story in that it concentrates almost solely 
on Storm and Forge dealing with this process, you know, and dealing with, you know, what does it mean now if you were a mutant to lose that ability? And in Storm's case, you know, basically a god. And that's a lot of the questions that obviously the, the mutants who have lost their powers are asking prior to Crucible. Arriving at Crucible, we learn that this gladiatorial ceremony is the Quiet Council's solution to the problem of decimation and mutants that want to be made whole. The first mutant to go through Crucible, or at least the first that we see, is Melody Guthrie, the fourth of the Guthrie's ten children, and herself a mutant until the events of M-Day. Uh, if you're not super familiar with the Guthrie's, Sam is probably the most famous of the bunch, as in the New Mutants we've seen him lately, and Paige Guthrie is Husk, who we actually saw in the pages of House of X as one of the less likely um, people to go along on the journey in House of X number four. The talk by Apocalypse of refusing suicide as an option is particularly relevant for Melody, who nearly committed a form of post-MDI suicide, jumping off a building believing she could still fly in, you know, definitely what is intended to be a very sort of tragic um, take on decimation. I believe that was in the pages of New Avengers. I'm going to guess issue 18-ish by Brian Michael Bendis. So instead of encouraging mass death, Crucible is Krakoa's way of challenging depowered ex-mutants to prove their mettle and desire to be made whole. It's a very apocalypse argument, fighting for survival and becoming your best self in a sword fight with the big A symbol himself. My first major question surrounding Crucible are, what happens if they beat Apocalypse? They don't get to resurrect? This doesn't seem like a lot of incentive to have, you know, your best sword fight. Also, what about mutants like Domino and X-Force who aren't depowered but are not whole in some way? How far does Crucible extend? While witnessing the events of Crucible, Nightcrawler and Cyclops pose some major questions about the nation's resurrection process. The first is the issue of mutant wills, where Cyclops points out some mutants are arguing that the best version of themselves would be being reborn in a copy of Magneto's body with his powers. Nightcrawler then says, why stop there? Why not combine two? Why not add a third into the mix? This is some dramatic irony, as we know, considering Mr. Sinister's Chimera program from Powers of Ten is all about mutant power splicing. At this point in Krakoa, though, it's all theoretical and a bit fuzzy. The question of resurrection changes, and becoming who you were meant to be is a very interesting one. We've already seen hints throughout Dawn of X that mutants can come back through resurrection with amplifications or minor changes. For example, we've seen Sync in the pages of X-Men number 5, a note here that I found very interesting in the data page saying that he came back at 4% increase in his natural physical ability post-resurrection. We've also seen Professor X be resurrected in a new body. This was confirmed by writer Jonathan Hickman in an interview with Adventures in Poor Taste, where at the start of House of X and Powers of Ten, he was in the Phantom X body that he inhabited during the astonishing X-Men run that preceded the House of X event, and now he's back in his traditional potty. And, of course, we also have Melody Guthrie having just undergone the process. So we have mutants leaving wills, asking to be restored in Magneto's body with his powers, or not mentioned here, how about just in their chosen gender? One idea that does occur to me is the concept of placing a mutant's essence, their Professor X cerebra-backed-up person, into a physical body that is not their own. This is still a fairly untested procedure on Krakoa. This seems like the biggest setback, preventing a nation of Magnetos running around? Uh, magnation? But I have to imagine we'll see this exact scenario play out sooner than later. The second major question revolves around questions of afterlife and the soul. The point is clearly not direct answers so much as considering the weight of the questions, and Nightcrawler does that very effectively throughout the issue. How much does the resurrection process change a person? The questions regarding the afterlife and eternity are all especially relevant for Nightcrawler, who not only operates as the most famous devout Christian in the Marvel Universe this side of Daredevil, but has literally been to heaven. 
After his death in X-Men's second coming, Nightcrawler was in paradise until the pages of Amazing X-Men when he was quote-unquote rescued? Now, obviously in that story arc, Kurt returns to the land of the living, but for someone so committed to a life well-lived, leading to an eternal reward, how do you reconcile that with eternal immortality on Krakoa? X-Men number 7 ends with Melody Guthrie's ascension to her mutant status as the flying, glowing arrow, reborn as the mutant she was meant to be before decimation. Amidst the spectacle, Nightcrawler also declares his new mission is to start a mutant religion, which is, frankly, an absolutely fantastic idea. As a whole, X-Men number 7, it really tackles faith and questions of Krakoa and the Resurrection Protocol in some very, very interesting measures. Uh, I think focusing on Melody Guthrie, part of the Guthrie family, taking on Apocalypse, is all a very interesting way to frame what Crucible can be, and again, like what the Quiet Council is trying to do here, which is restoring mutants to what they were meant to be before they were, you know, hunted and feared and killed by humanity, or in the case of the Scarlet Witch, obviously being an exceptional superpowered thing, depowered so, so substantially. I do think it's interesting that in the opening solicit, you know, there's this miraculous opportunity to be reborn, but nothing so incredible comes without a cost. It is, it, I, I think this question doesn't necessarily get answered as thoroughly as I would like in the sense of Melody Guthrie, her cost is, well, she has to die. And while that sounds awful to <laughs> us mere humans, on Krakoa, obviously, we know that that means that leads to resurrection. So I think one thing I'm questioning here is within Crucible, again, what what exactly are the incentives <laughs> to, to not lose that sword fight? Because losing means you get what you want. Also, Crucible, as an idea, is visually appealing and and kind of a wild addition to the mutant landscape that we're seeing in the Hickman era of X-Men, it's also pretty barbaric. Um, it's definitely an apocalypse idea to do this this way with, again, a gladiatorial sword fight in which a mutant will die. It's it's not without complications, so I, I think it ends on a hopeful note because we see Melody Guthrie ascending as Arrow, but I, I don't think we can pretend that it's all roses necessarily. So, again, you've been listening to The Comic Book Herald Show. I'm Dave Busing. You can find all of my writing and works. You can find me at Comic Book Herald on social and at comicbookherald.com online. If you have comments, thoughts, questions, what you think Crucible means for the X-Men, any theories or predictions, I'd love to hear them here in the comments on the YouTube channel or, of course, over on CBH. So, thanks, everybody, for listening, and, as always, enjoy the comics. Enjoy the comics.